listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl Podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl Podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. We are jumping back into our study of Ruth. Hope, when you're at the end of your rope, lessons from Ruth on trust, surrender, and healing. We'll be focusing in this episode on the benefits and blessings that come from walking with God, with listening to what he says, with trusting him. We've talked up to this point about some of the challenges associated with following God, how it is costly, how we don't always like the way that God leads, and how we often come to what I call breaking points where we are walking with him fine for a while and all of a sudden he ups the ante, so to speak, and brings us to a new place that is always going to be for our benefit and his glory, but it's not always easy to walk to new heights with him. It can be very scary. It can be hard. It can be uncomfortable and it will stretch us. And so it is costly. But what I want to look at in today's episode is just this idea that there are incredible benefits from walking with God. And Matthew 10 39 tells us if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, for me, you will find it. That's the New Living Translation. So even if we come to points in our journey with Christ where we have to make the choice to leave behind what is comfortable for us, what what is familiar to us, even if we have to leave behind things, we are going to gain much more and have fulfillment and joy in following God and gain more than what we leave behind. Jim Elliott says on this point, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So in other words, what we give up in our walks with Christ pales in comparison to what we gain. And when we look at Ruth, she displays this idea for us because she leaves the security and comfort of her homeland behind. The God she once followed, she comes from Moab and follows Naomi to Bethlehem. Even though it's an unknown place for her, she's following God. She has devoted herself to him. And so she leaves her family behind And when we pick up in Ruth 2, they have arrived in Bethlehem and they need to sustain themselves and get some food. And so Ruth, she doesn't have many options as a widow. So she goes out and she gleans wheat in the field. There was a law during this time that those who were poor could go to the field um, of a landowner and that they could go behind the workers who were harvesting the grain and they could pick up what was left behind. And that was a way to protect and, and really help those who were in need. So Ruth does that. And I want to just pick up for you. If you want to follow along reading, I really recommend just reading all of Ruth too. It's not too long, but I'm going to pick up in Ruth eight to um, verse eight in Ruth two, and then read on to verse 17 in the actual article if you want to check it out I don't I give a much shorter passage but I want to just kind of expand it a little bit for you just to give you the context so Boaz said to Ruth so here we have just to give you the context she's in this field she's picking up grain and the landowner his name is Boaz and in the story Boaz is very much representative of Christ and we might say that Ruth is representative of 
a new convert to Christianity or just a believer. And she's working in his field, but we could also say that it's representative of believers working in the field of, of Christ when we come to him. But anyway, Boaz asks about this woman that he sees, finds out a little bit about her, finds out she's helping her mother-in-law knows about her and then has this conversation with her. And I want to pick up in verse eight. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you and wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such a favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the fields until evening. And then it just tells us, then she goes home. She relays to her mother-in-law what has happened. They have this conversation and you can continue and on even reading ahead if you'd like to Ruth three and find out what happens between these two. But one verse I want to just point out to you in this passage that I read is verse 12, where it says, may the Lord repay you. This is Boaz telling Ruth this for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And I really just want to look at that idea of him telling her, you know, may you be richly rewarded for what you've done. And also says something to her about just acknowledges that she has come under the wings of God to take refuge. What can his words to her teach us about the rewards of trusting in God, the rewards of finding refuge under God's wings? The first benefit I want to point out is inner peace. One of the rewards of following Christ wherever he may lead is inner peace. Peace can be defined as tranquility an absence of disturbing or oppressive thoughts or emotions. So even when God's assignments to us are hard and we don't understand where he is leading us, we have peace when we follow where he leads. Even though Ruth had to make a difficult choice in following Naomi into poverty and obscurity as a widow, she had peace in her heart knowing she was following God. She could have easily, as we discussed in previous episodes, she could have easily gone back home to her gods, to her family, been married once again, there was no guarantee in going with Naomi that she was going to find a husband. And in this time period, to be a widow was a particularly vulnerable and lowly position. You really were dependent on other people. You couldn't just simply go out and, you know, find a job for yourself. You really had no status unless you were 
married or had a son that would provide for you or a male relative that would provide for you. And so they were in a particularly vulnerable position. And yet she chose to go with Naomi, chose to follow God and go to Bethlehem. So she may have encountered more in terms of physical sustenance and worldly comfort in going back to Moab, but she would have suffered from a troubled conscience. And it's kind of representative of the place that many of us, I know in my own life, there have been decisions where I've, I've chosen Moab over Judah, that I've chosen the easier way because it was easier. And then God had to route me and get me back on track. But we see here in Ruth that she has the steadfast character and that she chooses the right way, even though it is the harder one. And it doesn't initially look better, but the blessings are waiting for her down the road. So similarly, when we follow Christ, the way he leads may not look good to us, may not be the way we really want to go down, but we will experience peace if we walk in that way. Even in in the midst of great difficulty, if we're walking with Jesus, if we're going the way he wants and we're relying on him in the process, we're going to have great calm in our spirits, no matter what is going on around us. Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine says this, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So this is Jesus talking in this passage. And if we look at this, the word weary refers to those weighted down or burdened in the passage. So it really can refer to those times where we feel anxious because of something going on in our lives. We feel troubled. Maybe we've made a decision that is upsetting us. Maybe we feel guilty over that decision or we just feel troubled by something happening and we go to Christ and we unload on him and he offers us his presence. He offers us his comfort in that moment and and we come away feeling so refreshed. So the word weary refers to those weighted down, but the word rest in the passage, it, it does mean that we have a rest from either labor or we just find refreshment. So the passage does invite those who are weary to come to Jesus and receive rest from him. And that's one component of the passage. But then if we look at the other component, it's not only a coming to Jesus, but it's take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So there's a second part of the passage where it talks about we will receive a reprieve from our turbulent emotions, not only by coming to God with our problems and burdens in prayer and reading his word, but we also find peace when we surrender to his will. Alexander McLaren says this, the very act of coming to Christ brings repose, but that is not all. The path of rest is treading in Christ's footsteps. Learn of me is the secret of tranquility. I can't remember if I've told this story or not on the podcast, but recently my son pointed out a song to me that he liked on Spider-Man the Spider-Man soundtrack. And I looked up the artist because I thought it was a really well-written song. I really liked it. And when I looked up some of the other songs from the artist, I thought he was so talented. But again, being a secular artist, he was just one of the things that stood out to me was just the absolute chaos in his life that in all of his songs, it was just about these troubled relationships he has. And there was one line, he said something to the effect of, how can I save you? I can't even save myself. And I kind of looked at that and read that and thought to myself, oh my goodness, like I've forgotten because I've had the benefit of walking with God for so long now. 
I've forgotten how life feels when I'm not relying on him and when I don't turn to him for help. That in my younger years, even as a Christian, I didn't really know how to turn to him for that sense of rest. And I just was very self-reliant because I didn't know really how to turn to God or really how to depend on him or if that, what that really meant, or if that, that, that was really what the Christian walk was all about. And it's been a learning process. And of course I still struggle as many of you listening probably do with wanting to do things my own way and struggling because God's ways often seem very odd and very, you know, counterintuitive, not the things that I would normally really want to do. But Again, it's like we have this amazing inner peace that that the world does not have. That you can go to spas, you can go to vacations, you can have money to have the most, you know, tranquil setting in your house. And yet, there will be no peace if you do not know Jesus. And that's what benefit we have when we walk with him. The second benefit we have when we walk with God is his counsel. What we see in the passage is Boaz instructs Ruth where to glean to get the most out of her work. And he says in um, verses 8 and 9, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. So he basically is instructing Ruth on how to glean where to go, giving her, you know, good counsel so that she'll still remain unharmed and be able to glean. And similarly, God instructs those who follow him on the best way to go. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So not only do we have this incredible benefit of inner peace when we follow God, and we surrender to him, we're also guided in the right way to go. We don't have to figure out every situation. We don't have to worry about what dangers lurk in the future. And listening to him, we avoid pitfalls and situations that would cause us harm. Now, I do want to say that following him doesn't mean that we will not have trouble and persecution or problems, that we will But whatever trouble we face is that which God has allowed to work out the best in us. John Trapp says this, For it may befall a saint to share in a common calamity as the good corn and weeds are cut down together, but for a different end purpose. End and purpose. What he's saying there is believers, we're going to encounter hardships just like unbelievers are. In fact, we may feel like we're encountering more hardships than certain believers Following God's way will even lead into certain hardships and trials. However, these hardships and trials will be those that God will work for good in our lives. And certainly he may even protect us out of some of them. I was reading just some commentary on uh, Psalm 91, which I'm going to read at the end of this podcast. And Charles Spurgeon, there were a lot of quotes from him that I was coming across and in just looking at at uh, one particular commentary, a David Guzak, his enduring word commentary, he had several quotes from Spurgeon. But one of the quotes he put up was just, it was a story from Spurgeon about they had an outbreak of some kind of outbreak of sickness. Again, he was living in a time where they didn't have the medicine we do now. 
And he was fearing that he would actually get sick himself. And he was ministering to all these people and going around and he, he was really afraid and he was getting really discouraged. And he was on his way home and he actually saw in the window a piece of paper that caught his eye and he didn't know what it was. Well, it was Psalm 91. There's a a line in there about how God will save us out of the plague and pestilence. No, no plague or pestilence will harm you. Now, if you look at that, what the passage is saying, it's not an absolute 100% promise that you'll never become sick or you won't suffer from illness because Christians do, we will. But there is some moment, some times where God will give special protections and will prevent us, you know, will, will allow us not to suffer from certain ills that other people do. But even if he does allow it, even if we do fall ill or we do suffer, then we can rest knowing that God's got us, that we have a, a brilliant future with him no matter what the end is that he holds our lives in his hands. And so whether he chooses to allow certain trials in our life or saves them us out of them, whatever, it's all going to work for good in the end. So we can just rest in that fact. Ruth is given boundaries by Boaz, but she doesn't resist against them. She understands that Boaz says what he does to protect her and help her. And as believers, when we understand that God tells us what he does because he has his loving eye on us, and desires to ensure our protection, we can submit to what he tells us. So we don't have to resist, you know, the way that he's pointing to us because we know that it's for our good, that it's leading somewhere, it's for his glory, and he's looking out for our best interests. The last benefit that comes from walking with God, and and I could even list more than this. I've just chosen three. Is His care? I've already sort of mentioned this in in the the previous two points. But in addition to offering us peace that the world cannot provide and His protection, He cares tenderly for His own. The cost of discipleship is high, and Jesus is pretty honest about that. I'm not even going to say pretty honest. He's amazingly honest about that in the Bible. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't hide to those interested in following him what it will entail. He does tell people up front that it will be a narrow path, that it will be hard, that it will involve sacrifice. But when we walk with him, he walks with us and he ministers to us when the journey becomes more than we can take. Boaz offers Ruth water to quench her thirst and also a meal with the servants, even though she isn't even a servant. She's a gleaner, uh, someone who is walking behind the servants. She doesn't even work for him. She's just kind of picking up what's left behind. And not only that, he doesn't, he invites her to eat at his, um, with his workers and gives her bread dipped in wine vinegar to sustain her. And it's very similar to what God does with us. He comforts us in our brokenness. He gives us strength when we are weary, too weary to go on. He sends needed supplies our way when our finances run out and gives us the ability to carry out the tasks he assigns us. Just to name a few 
of the benefits we have. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This was Paul. Paul was in prison. And God worked through church members to bring him some needed things that he needed. I mean, even when he was in prison, wasn't even able to really provide for himself. God sent those that would help him and give him what he needed. And similarly, where wherever we are, we have to work. It's not that we don't have to. We can just lay around and God's going to just send everything we, we need. I mean, we definitely work. But when we put God first and we do as he says that God will supply what we need in the process. And it's not that he's a, a genie and gives us just whatever we want. When we ask for what we need in accordance to his will, he will respond and give to us out of his abundance. And that's what it's talking about here. I was remembering a story when I was doing this article and podcast episode of a time when we had just moved to the area we live in and we literally didn't know anyone. And I went through this health situation where I was going to have a recovery time for this health issue for, it was about six weeks. And the first few were really the roughest and I really couldn't get out much. It was just better for me to kind of stay around the house. And so grocery shopping, things like that were kind of a challenge for me. And we didn't know anyone and family was living far away. So I I remember just panicking, thinking, how am I going to pull this off? I'm the one that usually grocery shops, makes all the meals. I have three kids. How am I going to make this happen? And my husband was coaching, so he was gone a lot of nights and he couldn't really do some of those things that I normally do. That's kind of my realm. And he just, you know, went to school, I think a day or so after I was praying about this and worrying about it, of course, and he went to school, his principal and athletic or not athletic director, principal, and then FCA director. FCA is just um, like an association they have that works with schools that they, you know, they pair different athletic teams and things with pastors or people who are interested in helping to share the gospel and just be a support to teams and just share the message of Jesus in schools, in public schools. But his principal knew that I wasn't doing too well, asked how I was. The FCA director overheard the conversation, heard I wasn't doing too well, and decided to, even though he didn't really know me personally, set up meals from these people in the FCA and even teachers in the school. They set up meals for me for uh, the first two weeks or so. And it was just exactly what we needed to get through that time of me being sick. And it was just exactly what I needed And these were people I didn't even know. And they just showed up with meals, some gift cards. It was awesome. So God is very creative. And we can think, wow, I don't even know anyone. I don't even have any friends that could help me. But he can move on absolutely anyone, a total stranger. And I've heard other stories from other people of saying similar things. I want to just wrap up by saying that when we make Christ our refuge, we offer in blessings and benefits into our lives we would otherwise not know. Psalm 91.1 says this, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Making Christ our refuge means turning to Him, putting Him above all else in our lives. But it's not about perfect perfection on our part. It's not 
that if we drift here or fail there, that God's just going to somehow not be there for us. It simply means that when we walk closely with him and make him the place of stability we rely on, that we experience blessings that we would miss out on if we didn't make him our refuge. I want to just point out something that Ruth was a foreigner. She was at the mercy of a stranger's charity. She was undeserving of the favors bestowed on her. And we see this posture of humility throughout Ruth where she, she really is aware that she is at the mercy of these people that she knows that at any moment she could be turned out of the field or they could just simply deny her what she's asking. And so she's very humble in what she asked for. However, and, and, and we could say too, that we are very undeserving of what God has done for us on the cross. We don't deserve what he did, but he did it out of his love for us. However, she was given an invitation to glean from the fields because she chose to follow God and God worked through other people on her behalf. Note what Charles Spurgeon says on this point. The poor trembling stranger who has not strength enough to reap, who has no right to be in the field except the right of charity. The poor trembling sinner conscious of his own demerit and feeling but little hope and joy is invited to the feast of love. So just as Ruth was offered blessings in response to her obedience and following Jesus, we too will find blessings when we trust God and follow where he leads. I want to go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've given to us and dying for us on the cross and being our friend and walking through this journey of life that is hard, that is full of hardship and trials, that you don't just throw us into it and into the trials and make us go alone. You walk with us and then in the process, you comfort, encourage us and give us exactly what we need to get through at every single step of the way. Lord, we see that in Ruth. And so if we're in a tough place where maybe we feel that you've abandoned us or we feel alone, help us to turn to you. Help us to feel your presence. Lord, if we're far away from you and we don't even know what it means to come under the shadow of your wings, help us to just take a baby step in the right direction to maybe start praying to you every day, to reading your word, Lord. And if we are close to you, but we we feel the draw to to go our own way or we we're tempted to stray because the hardship has been too much. Lord, help us just to be reminded by Ruth's faithfulness in this story of the benefits of walking with you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.